Welcome to the First Presbyterian Church New Bern podcast. My name is Paul Scott Chernitsky. I am one of your hosts. I am joined in the bell room. What is this? Well, we're calling it the Lewis Foy room. We're, oh, that's right. I saw the plaque. We're in yes. the room dedicated to Lewis Foy, and uh, I'm here with my co-host, Anna. Hey, Anna. We're on location. We are mobile. We are on location. It's a little echoey, I predict. It, it is. Uh, the reason we're here is because we are getting set up. I'm staring at all kinds of buttons. And joysticks and levers. Levers and joysticks. It looks like I could, uh, it's like a pilot, looks like I take a plane off. Can you fly the church? No, but I can zoom in to Anna Pinkney Strait streaming <laughs> live. Uh, so today we posted our normal YouTube pre-recorded service, mm-hmm. but today I am practicing streaming. So I'm going to be running all the buttons and cameras and joysticks and computers and all that stuff like it's streaming live, but we're not. We're streaming it secretly to ourselves. Correct. Just to learn a little bit. And then next week, uh, like we talked about on the YouTube service, uh, at 11 a.m., we're streaming. Live. Live. And if you are there live for it, you're there with us in real time. And if you miss it, it will be it will stay on YouTube, so you could watch it in that way, too. Yes. The only difference will be for those who typically wake up early on Sunday mornings and worship with our video before 11. It will not be available before 11 because it hasn't happened yet. And it will, it's my aim to record the audio and put it on the podcast like we always have, mm-hmm. but there could be some changes. I mean, it might mess up next week, but I don't think so. Right. We're going to be learning some new things. The newsletter article for next month sort of goes through some of the things to know that you can find the video just on our normal YouTube channel, as well as on our website, just under, you know, backslash watch. And we're going to be learning, but, but the goal is that this is going to be more of our community of faith, that if you cannot be here on Sunday morning, we want you to feel connected. Today's scripture is the road to Emmaus. And I was approached by someone after the 830 worship service who talked about needing to stay home because of health reasons. And, and I said, well, that's what Emmaus teaches us, that God is where you are. And so if you're at home watching the service, God's there too. And if we can live stream the actual worship service, you're even more a part of our community of faith, which is what we want to do. So exactly. And this week I'll be practicing pressing all the buttons. And I said, Hey, Anna, want to stay late every day after work and practice this stuff? And you said, no, I won't be here. I will not be here. Where are you going? I am going to the beach. Um, I am gathering with the well. The well is a lectionary study group that has been meeting. Let's see. I think it's 15 years this year. There's 16 of us. And we gather for a week every year, Monday through Friday. And the entry into this is that you write papers. We are assigned scripture texts for a Sunday, and we prepare papers on the language and the history and the theology of the text, and then how you might preach it. So we share those papers with each other. We bring in a scholar to talk to us. Last year, it was a scholar on the Gospel of Luke. This year, we're bringing in a scholar who's going to talk about political theology. um, And we... We study together, we laugh together, we cry together, we have communion together. It's, um, it, it's a deep, amazing, wonderful week. It sounds like you're like the Avengers, like a group of su- superheroes <laughs> that meet everyone to kind of get on the same page so you can save all humanity. 
Yeah, except for it's that Jesus who saves humanity. We're just trying to tell people about Jesus. Got it. Yeah. Got it. Okay, I'll work yeah. on my metaphor, but yeah, yeah. But it's wonderful because we'll talk about, I mean, particularly COVID and since then, everything is changing so much. It's wonderful to be with other preachers and pastors who are figuring out what's new and how we're doing things and, and just to be with colleagues. It's a, it's a real gift. All right. Well, we got to wrap it up because I have a lot of bu- buttons to press. And, and uh, joysticks to turn and yeah, levers. And if, and, and if you're not off in church, I might zoom in on you. You never know. Now, Paul Scott, I promised everyone you would not do that. Just if your eyes are closed, you better pretend like you're praying because the yeah. camera might come for you. <laughs> okay, just kidding. I don't know how to do that. Uh, anyways, we hope you have a great week and we will talk to you um, before live streaming. I mean, we'll be recording it right before <gasps> we go live next week. So that means in a couple weeks, we'll tell you all about it. So exciting. All right, everyone. Have a great week. Talk to you later. Bye. Let us pray. Holy Spirit, send your fire to dance across these familiar words, illuminating ancient stories, illuminating weary hearts. Set us ablaze again with the promises of the Holy Word still proclaimed for us. Amen. Our scripture reading for today comes from the Gospel according to Luke. We are in the 24th chapter, reading verses 13 through 35. That very day, two of them were walking to a village named Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem, and talking with each other about these things that had happened. While they were talking and discussing together, Jesus himself drew near and went with them. But their eyes were kept from recognizing him. And he said to them, What is this conversation that you are holding with each other as you walk? As they stood still, looking sad. Then one of them, named Cleopas, answered him, Are you the only visitor to Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened here in these days? And he said to them, What things? And they said to him, Concerning Jesus of Nazareth, who was a prophet mighty in deed and word before God and all the people, and how our chief priests and rulers delivered him up to be condemned to death and crucified him. But we had hoped that he was the one to redeem Israel. Yes, and besides all of this, it is now the third day since this happened. Moreover, some women of our company amazed us. They were at the tomb early in the morning and did not find his body. And they came back saying that they had seen a vision of angels who said he was alive. Some of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said, but him they did not see. And he said to them, O foolish men and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer all of these things and enter into his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. So they drew near to the village where they were going. He appeared to be going further, but they constrained him, saying, Stay with us, for it is toward evening, and the day is now far spent. So he went in to stay with them. When he was at table with them, he took bread and blessed it and broke it and gave it to them. And their eyes were opened and they recognized him and he vanished out of their sight. 
They said to each other, did not our hearts burn within us as he talked to us on the road while he opened to us the scriptures? And they rose that same hour and returned to Jerusalem. And they found the eleven gathered together and those who were with them, who said, the Lord has risen indeed and he has appeared to Simon. And they told what had happened on the road and how he was known to them in the breaking of the bread. Friends, this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. But we had hoped. But we had hoped. This is what these two individuals say to Jesus as he walks alongside them on the road to Emmaus. But they do not yet know it is Jesus. But we had hoped. But we had hoped that he was the one to redeem Israel. Those hopes have, at least at this point, been dashed. These disciples are not open to the good news of the resurrection. They have blinders on because they are broken. They are sad. They are discouraged. Their hopes have been dashed. And if your hopes have ever been dashed, and I can't imagine that there are too many people here who don't know what that feels like, you know that in that moment, everything else is blocked out. When your hopes have been ripped away from you, it makes everything else difficult to see or impossible to grasp. Singer and songwriter Kate Campbell gets it. She wrote a song about this feeling entitled Hopes Too Hard. It was a song written for a collection of songs about birds in the Bible. And in it, the words say, I wish I could see beyond, far beyond the far horizon. My eyes are tired from looking up and mourning like a dove. I've lost my voice with all this crying and my will to sing. Hope's too hard and I'm too weak. I don't know if I can keep holding on beyond my reach. Love, please don't let go of me. I suspect we've all been there at one point or another, and we know that hope is a terrible thing to lose. The disciples here have lost hope and they are headed to Emmaus. Where is Emmaus? 60 stadia from Jerusalem, the text says, about seven and a half miles, or some manuscripts have it as 160 stadia, which ups the distance to 19.5 miles. Now, scholars have hunches about where Emmaus might have been located, but there is no consensus. Either way, it's a little noted town, and its obscurity might be an indicator that Emmaus here in the text is a metaphor, a metaphor for a place where people go to escape, to run away, to be anywhere but where they are. In other words, the place where you go when your hopes have been dashed, and you no longer feel as though you are at home. These disciples are so lost, they don't even recognize Jesus. Before Jesus joins them, they are walking along, they are talking, they are discussing, they are having a vigorous conversation. The nuance of the Greek here does indicate that this was not just casual conversation, it was intense. Disputing in their words is even a viable translation. Whatever it is, they are so wrapped up in it, they don't notice that Jesus comes alongside them. 
or maybe, as Jesus has done before with locked doors and walls, maybe Jesus just appears with them and suddenly is journeying with them. But what happens next? What's next? Jesus walks alongside them and in something that is very on brand for Jesus, he asks them a question. He starts by asking them what's going on in their lives. And the conversation for Jesus starts with listening, with listening. After all, Jesus has joined them mid-sentence. It's worth noting that they don't block Jesus out. They don't tell him that it is a private conversation. They welcome him into it. They start practicing hospitality from this very initial moment, even when they are at their lowest. And then when they realize that this stranger does not have a place to go and that it will soon be night, not only do they invite him to stay with them, they insist upon it. It is not safe to travel at night and this stranger does not have a place to lay his head. Hospitality. And not only is it an invitation, they insist he stays. They pay attention. They pay attention to what Jesus is saying. They notice that he plans to go further, even when their eyes are held from recognizing him. They welcome a stranger into their midst. And then it is when they are at table together, this community, these disciples, with their Lord who do, they do not recognize. Who do they give the honor of blessing and breaking the bread? At this table, the stranger is not only tolerated, he's not given their extras, he is invited to the central place to bless and break the bread, which is then given to them. He is honored and cared for. Jesus takes bread, blesses it, breaks it and gives it to them, and it is then that their eyes are opened and they recognize him. They've been practicing hospitality to Jesus this whole time. They just didn't know it. As is so often the case, when we practice hospitality, whether or not we know it, it is to Jesus. And suddenly, when their eyes are opened and they recognize him and Jesus has gone away, suddenly, something has changed. They are no longer despairing. They once again have hope. Now, it's not the same hope as before. They no longer believe that Jesus will be the one to redeem them in the way that they thought. They understand anew what it means for Jesus to have lived for them, to have died because of them, and to have risen for them. And what do they do? Even though it is night, they go straight back to Jerusalem. They leave the place that you cannot even find on a map. They suddenly have to hurry back to where they know they are at home so that others will have what they have. Others will have this new hope with them. It is so miraculous and powerful, they cannot wait to share it. And that's the thing about hope and Jesus. It's there sometimes even when we don't realize it or recognize it. Kate Bowler is someone who knows something about this kind of hope. Kate Bowler, a professor at Duke Divinity School, the keynote speaker at this year's Women's Connection Conference in Montreat, was diagnosed with stage four cancer when she was 35 years old. She was young, she had a toddler at home, and in an instant, everything changed for her. 
at once, all at once it changed, even her understanding of hope. She writes, time did not point forward to the future anymore. It was looped, start treatment, manage side effects, recover, start treatment. I lived, she says, in the present tense, but the sicker I became, the more hope was a word that pointed to the unbearable, a husband and baby left behind, an end without an ending. I was confident in that moment that hope had its uses, but I began to think of it as a kind of arsenic that needed to be carefully administered. What Bowler discovered, what these disciples discover in their realization that Jesus was walking, was eating supper with them, was that Jesus was living and it was a new hope. They could not go back to where they were before, but that Jesus still had something in store for them that was new, something that stands before them and stood before Kate Bowler and stands before us. Kate Bowler wrote, the terrible gift of a terrible illness is that it has in fact taught me to live in the moment, but I have realized that I am learning more than to seize the day. In losing my future, the mundane began to sparkle. The things I love, the things I should love, became clearer, brighter. This transcendence, the past and the future experienced together in moments where I can see a flicker of eternity. A new hope, a new hope that could only be born when the old hope had been given up and released. And this is the good news of this story. No matter where you find yourself in this cycle, Jerusalem or Emmaus or somewhere in between, we know that Jesus is there even when we cannot see him. And there are things we can do to help open us to the presence of Jesus, like listening and practicing hospitality and paying attention to the needs of others. But those are helpers. They are not prerequisites. As Kate Bowler writes in her most recent book, Blessings for the Lives We Actually Have, in a blessing entitled, For When Hope Seems Lost, she shares words that I can imagine might have been uttered by those disciples on that Emmaus road before they met Jesus. Words that could have been uttered by me or you or all of us at one time or another. She writes, O oh God, hope is only a half-remembered dream behind a closed door. All is lost. God, this reality is a current so strong, I feel certain, at least for now, that it will sweep us all away. We cry, God, help me. I can't break out of this. So please, break in. Cut through the walls of this hard presence and flood it with the light of your presence. Blessed are we when we realize that suddenly, already, you never leave. You never left. You insisted on breathing life and hope and truth into my lungs, filling everything until the pain dissolves and I am free to move in faith again. Blessed are we who have a glimmer of eternity that in that dark expanse and as sure as day follows night, hope returns. And they rose that same hour. And they rose that same hour. Emmaus means that weary disciples receive again the presence of God. 
Emmaus means that we get a fuller understanding of the story of God and the invitation to see our stories against the backdrop of God's love story with the world, where even crosses are not mistakes, but are vessels of grace. And if that's true, then it could be, it must be true for the darkest moments of our own lives as well. Emmaus means that the weary get rest and the hungry are fed, the lost get directions and the despairing have their hope transformed. You, me, us. And they rose that same hour and returned to Jerusalem and they found the 11 gathered there and those who were with them who said, the Lord has risen indeed and has appeared to Simon. Then they told them what had happened on the road and how he was known to them and the breaking of the bread. May it be so for us too. Amen. Friends, go out into the world in peace. Have courage. Hold on to what is good. Return no one evil for evil. Strengthen the faint-hearted. Support the weak. Help the suffering. Honor all people. Love and serve God. And may the God of hope fill us with such joy and peace in believing that we abound in hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. Alleluia. Amen.